0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Eddard. Boy, I love the chance to kind of stop and kind of take a moment to sort of survey the situation, talk about what's going on here with Georgia football, and in light of the fact that there isn't a game on Saturday, it seems appropriate to – kind of look at some of the bigger questions that are still remaining with this 2024 recruiting class for UGA and in some form or fashion that's what today's show is going to kind of be about now a lot of this coming up with Jeff Centel here in a couple of minutes in fact some of you have been kind of reaching out to say hey BA would you ask Jeff about this would you ask Jeff about that I'm going to try to chronicle some of this, and I'm going to try to ask Jeff some of those questions here in a moment. Some of you've been saying I've been hearing bad rumors about so and so currently committed to this class. Can can Georgia's you know uh, still hold on to him because there's been rumors that he might be looking elsewhere, or you know Georgia looking out there to perhaps flip other players? Because if you keep this in mind, like right now, a good percentage of however you kind of whichever I guess you know, ranking website you prefer. However you kind of choose to catalog these players, a good percentage of the top recruits in America are already committed. So if Georgia's moving late here, for the most part, it's going to be moving in a category of committed players because most of the top recruits at this point are already committed. So so we'll ask, you know, Jeff about Georgia and its attempt to kind of move into the ranks of some of these committed guys. How much of Georgia's own kind of, you know, committed prospects can kind of hold on to jeff will tell you about all of that here coming up at a moment we'll also talk more about you know andre evans who uh, committed to georgia earlier this week flipping away from lsu just how big of a win was that for georgia i don't want to say it came out of nowhere but it kind of quiet right I mean there wasn't like a, this huge countdown to andre evans flip and yet, it provided some very good news for Georgia during the off week. So we'll talk to Jeff Sintel about that, and we'll also preview Decision Day tomorrow for LJ McRae, terrific defensive lineman, you know, top 100ish you know level player according to the 24/7 Sports Composite, 24/7 in their individual rankings has him as ranked among the very best players in the entire country. He's sort of a you know top 100ish type player overall, and he's getting ready for his uh, big announcement on Saturday. His team, Mainland, down there in Daytona. Also played a game last night. We have some photographic evidence, I guess, of uh, L.J. McRae here showing off uh, some UGA gloves. (laughs) Now, most Georgia fans are pretty skeptical of anything like this. Um, You know, they kind of they sort of feel like and I'm right there with you for the most part that the idea of gear as a precursor to a decision is usually bad news Aubrey Solomon Georgia mouthpiece we might remember that uh Owen Popo, Georgia sweatsuit there uh in the halls of Grayson high school that turned out not to be good news the Georgia fans have kind of been around the block a few times and so most Georgia fans would kind of look at LJ McRae here the uh, terrific defensive lineman saying OK, well, if a guy like this is, you know, wearing the Georgia gloves, that's, you know, kind of one more time to wear those gloves before throwing them away. That's what some Georgia fans would say in regards to this. Hard to say for sure exactly, you know, what of all that, what all that means and what what that's all about here. But ultimately, McCray is slated to announce his college decision there on Saturday. Georgia's obviously a big factor here. But if you kind of follow some of the online chatter as of late, certainly seems like Georgia not in the best position to win this year right now but perhaps not out of it either there's an old adage in recruiting that you know coaches sort of jokingly say this to each other if you don't know it's not you and ahead of the mccray announcement on saturday it certainly does not seem like anybody at georgia knows for sure it's them so perhaps that maybe means it's somebody else uh we'll ask jeff tell about the lj mccray situation here coming up in just a little bit obviously one of the most uh prized defensive line recruits here for this class of 2024 and uh someone that Georgia fans would certainly love to see in the fold here. And, you know, perhaps, you know, also kind of in keeping with the, uh you know, we saw Aiden Breland, you know, make the decision to go away from uh, Georgia last week. McCray was obviously the next name up on that, and perhaps a little bit of a trend lately of some big movement with NIL late on some of these targets that Georgia's going after. We're going to talk to Jeff tell about that all more coming up in just a moment. But prior to that, you know, Georgia on the field is also interesting right now, too, even though we won't see them on the field on Saturday. Those of us who try to follow this program as closely as we possibly can, we know that this off week is a time to work on yourself. It's a time to get better where you need to get better. And obviously, eventually, you'll kind of transition to those lousy, stinking Gators and talk about the game, game plan required to go out and beat them in Jacksonville once again. But ultimately, Georgia's thinking about more than just Florida, it's thinking about a stretch beyond Florida that includes. A Missouri team that's right now ranked in the top 20, an Ole Miss team that's right now sporting a very high ranking, a Tennessee team that could, with a win at Alabama on Saturday, set up a game in Knoxville in November that has a lot of incredibly high stakes and in some respects would kind of resemble the big game they played against Georgia in Athens this past season. That that That's kind of out there for Georgia right now. So, is working this week to make sure it is as ready as it possibly can be for that upcoming stretch of games that um is on its way and some of that kirby smart talked about here this week of you know how is it that you're going to use your bye week what is it that you're going to work on what's the what's what's the checklist what's the area of improvement what's the focus going to be for georgia here right now and earlier this week kirby smart took some time to talk about that this is what the coach had to say
1: Well, the obvious, you know, the areas that we can improve in, defensively red areas, a key area, forcing more turnovers is a huge area. Uh, You know, offensively, the ability to run the ball, the explosive running the ball, uh, we want to continue to do that and improving in the red area where we've been. We've had games that we were elite offensively in the red area, then we've had games where we were forced to kick field goals, and it usually came by way of losing first and second down, uh, not really third down. So those are areas that we can get better at, and special teams is kind of one by one, there's some things we can do better.
0: So interesting to hear Kirby Smart there on that, listing off the things where Georgia can show improvement. And one of the things that he mentions is the idea of that red zone defense, which we kind of saw on display against Vanderbilt, right? We've talked about this. Vanderbilt barely had, you know, just slightly more than 200 yards total offense on the day, but they had 20 total points. Some of that came because of some red zone breakdowns. We've seen that as well. You know, certainly South Carolina game, that touchdown right before the half, you know, the Gamecocks having success down near, down there near in the red area, rushing the ball, you know, for a touchdown, something we're not used to seeing Georgia allow. So while the overall Georgia defensive numbers are still pretty good, they're top 10 in yards per play allowed, they're top 10 in points allowed per game. There have been some red zone breakdowns that are a little bit different than what you're used to seeing from Georgia, and it's perhaps made some of the overall defensive performances for UGA cosmetically appear to be a little bit different than what you've gotten used to seeing from georgia over the course of these last couple of seasons so smart on the heels of mentioning red zone defense and one of the areas which georgia hopes to improve here this week was asked directly you know what do you attribute some of these breakdowns in the red zone to? and smart was pretty candid that you know it's not necessarily obvious any one thing that's kind of causing the issues Georgia's had down near the goal line when they've allowed other teams to score this is kirby again on that topic
1: you know, uh, it's hard to pinpoint, because every game has been a different person or a different theme. There is no common theme. There's no like, well, they throwing it over our head. Well, this guy's a weakness and he's getting beat. You no, know, everybody's taking turns. You know, this guy got beat, he had bad eyes. This guy had great leverage, he got beat. This guy gave up a run in his gap, he didn't run the right stunt. Um, and then sometimes they just whip you. You know, they just, they, 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 they whip you. South Carolina ran it in on us and, you know, we're he say of Georgia, you, you not, We're not going to let you run it in. Well, some teams have.
0: Yeah, so I think that's a pretty candid assessment from Kirby Smart overall, and I, I certainly couldn't, you know, give a better answer to what has kind of caused Georgia issues than what Smart, you know, gives right there. I guess the only thing I can say is, is that while I'll be the first to tell you that thus far this year, this Georgia defense has not really looked to me like what the 2021 or even the 2022 defense has kind of looked like. I still think that there's a good bit of reason for optimism for UGA. You know, we stay in our lane around here. We only talk about college football. We mostly only talk about Georgia football. But if you ever watch, like, the business news, like CNBC or uh, Bloomberg or, like, Fox Business, one of those, you know, sort of, like, Wall Street-themed, you know, TV networks. Like One of the things they'll sometimes talk about when it relates to, like, economic trends and things like that, the underlying fundamentals are strong. You ever heard that saying before, you know – well however things may be trending in one way or another, sometimes those sort of egghead academic, you know, economist types, well, the underlying fundamentals are strong. And I don't know when it comes to the economy if that's true or not. I guess that sort of depends on your own perspective, whatever else, and that's for someone else other than me to decide and determine. But when it comes to Georgia football, I think that phrase about the underlying fundamentals being strong. I think that's probably true here. In other words, if you told me that there's this was a team that's not giving up a, a ton on a per play basis, still among the best teams overall when it comes to scoring, scoring points per game allowed, yet there have been the occasional breakdowns that have made the final scores seem a little bit more successful the op, for the opposition than we're used to seeing against Georgia. If you told me that's the case, then I think I would probably assume that as the season goes along you're likely to kind of trend back to Georgia being what it typically has been on defense, even though for the first seven games, this this hasn't been as much of a typical Georgia defense as I probably thought that it would be. Now, I also believe that as you look ahead to Maybe Florida, but certainly Missouri, certainly Ole Miss, certainly Tennessee, even though Tennessee right now is not a very good offensive team either, but they'll be playing at home and perhaps they've got some special wrinkles they'll be saving for Georgia. It's certainly an offensive minded head coach in Josh Hypel. As you start thinking about, you know, these things coming up for Georgia, getting a defense back to kind of what you're used to seeing Georgia be, you know, I think that's I think that's pretty important. In fact I was looking at this before the show began. I like to keep things simple when I can. So last year, in November, first Saturday in November, Georgia played a Tennessee team that was number one in the country, and it was number one in the country because of how many points it was scoring—fifty plus against Alabama—and it was just, you know, launching through uh, the, uh, you know, the college ball world, scoring in bunches. There were predictions going into that game on that particular Saturday that Georgia might allow fifty points to Tennessee. You'll remember that anonymous opposing coaches saying things like that—that that Georgia was going to give up fifty points to Tennessee there as well. But the actual total that Georgia allowed that day to a Tennessee offense that Hendon Hooker was playing at almost like a Heisman finalist type level, uh, you know, guys like, you know, uh, you know great uh, Jalen Hayek playing at like a Blitnikoff award winning level, great collection of wide receivers. Uh, a lot of folks thought that Tennessee was going to be in the 40s, if not 50 points. And on that particular Saturday, Georgia allowed 13 points. Right now, Georgia's allowing about 14 points per game. So I think it sets itself up as a fairly reasonable goal of can Georgia against an Ole Miss against a Missouri against a Tennessee and these games that are coming up you know push even Florida we'll we'll, we'll include Florida in this for a moment because Gamecock uh, obviously gave up a pretty big point total to Florida last week Florida played pretty well offensively last week so let's include Florida Florida Missouri Ole Miss Tennessee can Georgia give up 13 or less points in all those games coming up? If it can, then obviously Georgia's chances of winning all four of those games go way up there as well. That's about what Georgia's averaging per year. That's what Georgia gave up against Tennessee last year. And I can promise you, last year's Tennessee offense is far better than any of these offenses that Georgia's about to play, even though in their own right, a good number of these offenses are at least formidable, but they're nowhere near as good. Even Tennessee this year is nowhere near as good as Tennessee last year. So is that not a reasonable goal? Georgia can allow 13 or fewer points in each of these games coming up. Uh we'll include tech to close out the regular season there as well. 13 or fewer points in every game moving forward. And if it does winning the next 5, getting to 12 and 0, it just seems pretty likely uh that would be, you know, the, the case under those circumstances. Almost overwhelmingly guaranteed almost, if you could do defensively against these offenses you're about to play what you did to Tennessee a year ago, knowing that all of these offenses are inferior to that version of the Vols. Now, how do you get there? I think some of that is improved play along the edges. I think Georgia needs that. But it's also guys who've been a little bit banged up who are seemingly closer and closer to full health. Georgia's always so strong up the middle defensively. You know, great with its defensive line, stopping the run right there at the point of attack. Terrific middle linebacker play, oftentimes great safety play. It's right there in the middle where some Georgia fans have been kind of left to wonder, you know, what does Georgia have with its inside linebackers right now? You know, what is that? Is that up to the same level that Nicole Dean and Roquan Smith and those guys, Quay Walker, those guys have kind of been up to? Well, I think the final five games of the regular season are going to tell that story there as well. And one of the guys who we almost kind of forget how injured he has been is Smile Mondin. But when you think about Georgia coming into its own, showing its best defensively right now in the final five games of the regular season, our sort of makeshift goal here of 13 or fewer points allowed in each of these games coming up, one of the guys that could help propel that is Smile Mondin, who apparently is healthier now than he's been when Mondon was playing last year I think he was arguably the most underrated player in the entire country I really do I don't think people were paying attention to how good Smile was last year I think that's the kind of player that can show up in a big way for Georgia in the remainder of this season too and going back to Tuesday night this is what Kirby Smart said about Smile Monden.
1: Smile's been a good leader um Smile's closer to 100 percent I think he he played early in the uh, camp on, a, on an injury that, you know, a lot of people take a long time to come back from. I think he made it back in four months and was able to go play early in the season. And he's, he, he's like, the early season was like his camp. He didn't get a camp to go through. And uh, he's, he's back up to speed and uh, doing a good job. And I think he's really wanting to have a good back half of the season and play more physical and play faster. So I'm counting on him to do that.
0: Boy, I love that from Kirby Smart. Smile Madden's ready. He wants to play physical. He wants to play faster. That's a bad sign for the opposing offenses that George is about to face. I think 13 is a very simple number, very easy to understand. 13 or fewer points allowed next Saturday against Florida. 13 or fewer after that against Missouri, Ole Miss, Tennessee. 13 points or less can get you to 12-0 and 0 in a 13th game coming up in the SEC Championship. A very, very simple goal, but perhaps a winning formula to go for three in 23. My name's Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger. We are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us. That's live on video. We start 945, 1st and 15, dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio, 960, the Ref Podcast, all across the various podcast platforms. Just really happy to have you on the show. We started a little UGA recruiting talk. Don't forget, we'll get Jeff sintel on some more of that here coming up in just a moment. But prior to that, let's remind you that today's action all brought to you by our friends at kroger how about speaking of some fun action going down at your local kroger you got that here coming up because coming up on thursday october 26th from 4 p.m to 7 p.m it's moonlight madness back with trick-or-treating at the store in all the various departments we've done this before with our family we had a great time doing this a few years ago it's been a while since we've done this but uh, this was really really fun when we did this uh, a couple of years ago You got a cakewalk as well which i love the old school kind of cakewalk thing it kind of reminds me of being back in elementary school myself cookie decorating and a whole lot more and for the parents Kroger's also having a one-day sale on thursday october 26 as well so you can get savings on halloween candy snacks and a whole lot more just go to any kroger store to find out more details about that or check out online kroger.com slash halloween that's kroger.com slash halloween for the big moonlight madness event taking place on thursday october 26 starting at 4 p.m that is going to be a really good time we are going to have a really good time there as well. As I told you before, it's Jeff Sintel UJ recruiting. You know, Can Georgia get in and win the battle for LJ McRae on Saturday? Is the online chatter correct that perhaps McRae is looking elsewhere? He wore the Georgia gloves last night. Sometimes that's a false positive. Uh, what does that mean for all of this? We'll let Jeff Sintel tell, tell us about that here coming up in just a couple of moments prior to that though let's go around the doghouse poured today by the finish long drink and i don't want to spend a ton of time on this because it's not George related but it's probably the biggest story out there in college football right now and given the fact that georgia's not playing on saturday perhaps there's more attention you know from georgia fans being paid attention to this the very weird thing going on with jim harbaugh right now let me show you this from espn uh, i guess it was pete damley who kind of broke this uh, but uh the ncaa is apparently investigating the michigan wolverines football program as the uh, news language says, amid allegations of sign stealing, the Big Ten conference said on Thursday. So the stuff here is, is that apparently Michigan has had a low level, level staffer, apparently with like a military background. This All this sounds very cloak and dagger. And he's been going to games of future Michigan opponents trying to get you know access to the team's signs what they're calling from the sideline as a way of gaining an extra edge and an advantage for michigan this is unfortunately why uh these teams now have all gone to these like giant bed sheets that they hold up uh behind the uh the the staffers who are signaling in you know uh, to the to the field because they don't want whoever these guys are to be able to see what's going on here now my guess is if you're sitting, I, actually, I haven't heard anybody say this, but I'd be curious to know if this is true. If you're sitting like first five rows, like kind of like right behind the bench, when that big bed sheet comes up, it's hard to see, probably, right? You got to imagine it probably is. So I'm sure that's kind of, I, I know for our high school games, you know, everybody's got the tents now and some of these teams have tents that are bigger than my first apartment and it's sort of hard to see past the tent on some of these high school fields in some cases i know the bedsheet stuff probably gets kind of hard to see there as well if you're a fan sitting right behind those but the point is the bed sheets exist for a reason because you got teams like michigan allegedly who are sending staffers into stadiums trying to find all this kind of stuff and now the big ten's investigating and everybody's getting really serious about this i have a th- a lot of thoughts on this i don't know that any of these opinions are particularly well formed so i'm just going to kind of roll through these in sort of no certain order here for a moment first of all it seems obvious to me that someone's really out to get jim harbaugh and i know that's not a popular statement to make because a lot of Georgia fans don't like harbaugh and i get that i don't really love harbaugh probably either but it just seems like there's a lot of weird stuff going on with Jim. For a coach that's as successful as he's been, he's won the Big Ten the last two years. I believe Michigan's likely going to win it again this year there as well. He's been in two straight college football playoffs. And yet there's always off-field drama going on with Harbaugh. He's flirted with taking NFL jobs. He had a weird NCAA suspension, one of the longer suspensions the NCAA's ever given any coach. It gave to Harbaugh this year for you know infractions that you know maybe don't seem at least you know to the extent that we follow the story don't seem all that you know egregious especially in comparison to some of the other stuff that's alleged to have gone on you know Harbaugh had this massive suspension and now on the heels of that and fighting the NCAA over that now he's you know alleged to have what is essentially college football's version of Spygate so it really seems like there is a club and Jim Harbaugh is not in it even though he's you know very successful coach Michigan's sort of a blue blood level pro- program but somehow some way boy it seems like there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes here on harbaugh in terms of somebody somewhere's kind of out to get him now maybe that's just because he's just so egregious and kind of pushing this idea of sign stealing many of you've seen the video and to be completely frank i had a big time laptop issue before the show began i would have played this for you but you know last year greg Schiano. Uh, in a halftime interview playing Michigan was kind of beside himself in anger uh, you know he was asked about penalties or something like that and he had a very weird comment about there's a lot of stuff going on right there but we're going to see about getting it fixed and it was kind of a non-sequiturish type thing to say in that particular game but now in light of what we're learning about Michigan's allegations against them it sort of seems like what Harbaugh you know uh, may have been doing was kind of catching the attention of uh, Greg Schiano because there are allegations this was also going on in 2022 there as well so perhaps a lot of Big Ten teams have been mad about this for a while there have been some message board rumors about this now there's also message board rumors about virtually everything so you know <laughs> you know not everything uh, that's a message board rumor rises to the level of being truthful but in this particular case perhaps some of those message board things really were true and p- perhaps what Greg Schiano was upset about uh, playing Michigan a year ago really was but the whole sign stealing fiasco I think the one other conclusion we can make from this is and then after this, we'll kind of wrap all of this up. I think the other conclusion we make is, is that a this is really prevalent. And it seems like it really works. I mean, I'll tell you this and a lot of y'all, you know, kind of travel in the same sort of rumor mill type stuff, people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. There are sign stealing rumors all the time, all the time. Clemson has dealt with a lot of these a lot of sign stealing rumors uh Michigan is now dealing with them now but there's also a lot of stuff that ends up kind of not getting published sometimes too like and I will tell you that some of them are almost definitely wrong in other words when you see a team that plays terrible there's this assumption sometimes of well so-and-so must have had their signs because otherwise the game couldn't have been so bad right and I think a lot of times when it's like a storyline in search of a rumor I think sometimes the rumor kind of pops up but ultimately ends up kind of not being true not every sign stealing rumor you're ever going to hear here really is true but they're also not all made up either I mean the big one was the 2013 the final BCS title game between Auburn and Florida State you know fairly I don't want to say substantiated because it's definitely not substantiated I don't think but uh but well-founded rumors let's say it that way that uh auburn had access to uh florida state signals in the first half uh florida state then switched the signals in the second half and went on to kind of get an easier win the way that a lot of people kind of thought they would have anyway there was also a thing a few this is a few years ago now in the sec where decently well-known position coach had gotten disgruntled with his previous employer and basically just gave everything defensive-wise away to every team that so-and-so team played. I have no idea if this is true, but a lot of people that I know who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody absolutely believe that it is true. And I think that probably happens as much as the sign-stealing stuff happens. Of Because disgr- there are disgruntled employees in every walk of life. I think disgruntled employees kind of giving away the game plan for so-and-so, that kind of stuff probably happens a little bit more but a lot of us look at these coaches who are always so paranoid and we think they're crazy for being so paranoid but perhaps what we should realize is they're only paranoid because they are well aware of what everybody else is trying to do on a regular basis i mean i'll give you one example that hits a little closer to home you know back in 2017 before the national title game in atlanta georgia went back to athens to practice that day that's a long bus trip to go practice and you know i asking people about this not you know not people within the georgia program but once again kind of people who know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody sort of like you know two degrees of separation removed maybe three separations you know degrees of separation removed and i think it was largely assumed that you know there was some concern of well if you practice in Atlanta, can you know can alabama get access to your practice you know, i don't know if that's a, a a reasonable concern or not but that was kind of the assumption of if you can go control the environment and practice in athens of course you'd want to do it and I can tell you that when you're practicing these neutral site bowl games, the first thing you're trying to figure out is not just Georgia, maybe anybody else, hey, where are the windows at? Who can see under this practice field because you're practicing some random junior college or something like that who can who can see uh, you know just who 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 can see what's going on here that the paranoia <laughs> it's like the old phrase of it's not paranoia if they really are out to get you well i think a lot of these college bowl coaches think guys like jim harbaugh really are out to get you trying to get access to information somehow some way so harbaugh is the one that's in trouble for it now but you sort of imagine he may not be the only one that's going to do some of this kind of stuff uh interesting to consider there on that we will make that are around the doghouse here, presented today and poured by our friends at the Finish Long Drink, and of course, the Finish Long Drink—a great, great choice. Not a tailgate weekend, but maybe you're just getting together and watching some other games with friends, family, whatever else, and you want some ice cold Finish Long Drink to go with you on that. Comes in that blue can, the traditional—that's the uh, grapefruit flavor with the gin kick. You want the Long Drink Cranberry? Long Drink Strong, eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar. Or for a limited time here in the Peach State, how about the Peach flavored version of the finished long drink that is a wonderful thing to be able to enjoy there as well so there is no georgia football but you can make it feel like a football game weekend with a wonderful tailgate there at home as you're watching tennessee bama or any of the other games ohio state penn state we'll give you some final thoughts on some of these games here coming up just enjoy yourself some finished long drink as we go into a weekend around the doghouse presented by the finished long drink here today from athens and across the sec or wherever the recruiting trail may lead here's a dognation.com insider we will say hello to Jeff Sintel way out on assignment i don't know if he wants to say where he is or not sometimes sometimes jeff's like the uh, low-level staffer from michigan who's sneaking behind enemy lines doesn't want anybody to know about him allegedly um so jeff can determine if he wants anybody to know where he is or not Uh, But he is here to talk Georgia recruiting. We will definitely let you know about all of that. So, Jeff, good Friday morning to you. Welcome to the program, and we appreciate your time today.
2: Hey, buddy. Good morning. Uh, Yeah, I guess people, I could say like I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, or Daytona Beach, Florida, or Dublin, Georgia. Let me see Nashville, Tennessee. Let me see if I can cover them all. A lot of worthy places I could be. But I'm actually in uh, Conroe, Texas. It's a off week for Georgia football. I don't need to be at a game early on Saturday or traveling to a game on Saturday for SEC plays. So I decided, you know, hey, I want to go where I can see two Georgia five-star commitments play ball. And I am in Conroe, Texas. It's about maybe 30 miles outside of Houston. And that's where I'm at the home of Oak Ridge High School. I'm going to get to see Joseph Jonah and John yeah. Young. Know and Justin Williams play football tonight.
0: Boy, that's a uh, fun thing. That's really, really uh, a great opportunity to see not just a pair of great football players, but obviously two teammates coming to University of Georgia together there as well. So that's a wonderful thing to be able to see. And uh, I know you know last week you were kind of highlighting some of the success that Justin Williams is having here during his senior season. Obviously, Joseph Jonah Janier not too far behind on that too. So you can tell us more about that here coming up in a little bit. Uh, let me also talk to you about what the news of the week has been, at least to this point. And that's the flip of Andre Evans from LSU to Georgia. And, you know, Jeff, this is one of those things that sort of only happens at a place like UGA where, you know, it's the off week, you know, you know, perhaps it's a little bit sleepy for some in some cases. And Georgia goes out and gets the kind of recruiting win that ought to be celebrated at any point in time that it happens. And this is a top 100-ish level player in the country, you know, big-time defensive back being flipped away from the program that sort of thinks of itself as DBU. You mentioned Nashville earlier. Uh, Evans obviously, uh, you know, hails from uh, Nashville. Uh, This is a pretty big recruiting win for Georgia. It's kind of quiet. I mean, there had been some chatter before this that that it was going to go down, but but not the kind of like big build up, not the big countdown or anything like that. This just sort of one of those things that just sort of happened. And while Evans had kind of become out of sight, out of mind for a lot of UGA fans after he committed LSU, boy, Georgia never stopped working that pipeline. It doesn't seem like and was there, Fran Brown, to his credit, to uh, win the battle here. This is a pretty big win for Georgia, and yet it can very easily kind of fly under the radar here. So talk about what Andre Evans brings to this class.
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, we we must uh, kind of like that trumpet player at the the, the Chick Fil A dog bowl this week, the solo red coat trumpet player. We got to trumpet the wares of Fran Brown here, Brandon. I know, I know, you kind of privately keep some sort of insiderish um, standings of which recruiters at Georgia are having the best seasons. And right now, if you wanted to hand out a championship belt at midterm to. The Georgia recruiter that's having the best year, I think it would be Coach Fran Brown, because my information has led me to believe that Fran Brown even told Andre Evans, is like, dude, you're probably not going to play right away here. You're probably going to have to watch and develop a little bit. And he still flipped away from LSU because, what, one, you have a defensive-minded program with former DB Kirby Smart at the helm. Uh, you have a lot of NFL tradition of guys getting in the league. But I don't know if people really zoomed in on this but I think a lot of false narratives I kinda of saw out there on social media was oh this is Kirby in Georgia kind of preparing for a letdown over the weekend and let's let's just cut to the chase here. This is a I think twenty four seven sports has him number one hundred and six overall in the country. Brennan he wasn't even really ranked in their late in their previous incarnations. He goes from unranked in the top two four seven to number one oh six overall. speed, and Brandon, Georgia's got a lot of fast dudes, don't get me wrong, but when you're running a 10.55, that is electric company to be in, in any program in the country, much less Georgia, and and Andre's a guy that, you know, he plays both ways for his high school, he's out of Nashville, it really feels to me like we presented on Before the Hedges this week, brought to you by Kroger, was that there's probably six or seven names that we can rightfully talk about as contenders for Georgia, maybe possible additions to the class. I think this class might have a silent decommitment or two. I think this class might eventually add some more names, but most of those names, Brandon, are going to have a flip associated to it. Most of them are on the defensive line, and that's where you're going to look at in terms of who Georgia finishes this class with. It's going to be mostly flips, kind of like what we had this week with Andre Adams
0: yeah fun to think about that obviously uh now it's also decision day on saturday for another georgia target this is lj mccray wonderful uh defensive line prospect out of uh, daytona beach mainland program and i sort of find ourselves having the same conversation i believe we had a week ago when it comes to the fact that right there prior to decision day for aiden Breland, it seemed like Breland was likely going you know elsewhere Sort of get the impression that the same type of thing's going down here for McCray. I obviously don't know for sure. That's why I'm asking you. But hard to deny the online chatter's got uh, McCray, I believe, going to Florida State. Either way, not going to Georgia. Is that your understanding of the situation that Georgia's going to kind of be, you know, missing out on another key defensive line prospect tomorrow when LJ McCray makes his announcement? Yeah, Brent,
2: I think you and I need to. Need to kind of work together, some sort of hand signals of our own that that Jim Harbaugh in Michigan can't swoop in and try and steal with whatever they got operatives working deep cover. But I, I think there's a way we should say whether, and not just the the classic tired line of recruiting is fluid, but we can just say there's been a late breaking development because Florida State kind of me to me feels like you know those jokes in high school about you know that's the one that you didn't need to worry about, that's the one who the 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 bell of the ball ends up going to the high school dance with. This is sort of what Florida State feels like. Let's be honest. Florida State wasn't really a team to watch for maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a month ago. He takes a late official. It kind of sounded like it was always Georgia trying to pull him out of Florida. Um, a lot of ties there to the Gators. And then all of a sudden he took an official visit to Florida State. Um, and, and all of a sudden Florida State's now a contender. That's the one you see all the chatter about. I think dog fans are getting a little tired of hearing Florida State come in at the end, come in with some closing flurries that are worthy of a Rocky movie or something like that. But this is what it feels like when you, you – this is in the modern era of recruiting, Brandon. And kind of – I'm in Conroe, Texas this week, and I'm, I'm looking and listening to Justin Williams, and I'm listening to Joseph Jonah Ajani. And, like, if the money comes, if the NIL, NIL inducement opportunities come, these guys are not about that. And it's really Georgia's not only having to find a great player that fits their defense, but also a player that's kind of wired the right way that they don't need in types. They don't need a big opportunity to, uh, to come join a program. But when it comes to a five-star defensive lineman like L.J. McCray, Brandon, I'm going to tell you, you see this guy, you see him in person, you're like, that guy right there is a future first-round draft pick walking. If he went to Kansas State, if he went to Florida State, if he went to Miami, if he went to Miami of Ohio, that guy's just different. He strikes you even though you, you've you seen Georgia guys before. And, like, what you're not, you know, you're used to seeing that type of athlete. I mean, L.J. McCray, Brandon, it still moonlights a lot at tight end for his high school team in Daytona Beach. And you hear now, um, Seminole's got a lot of juice, man. And I, I think everybody should stay away from the trickeration and the eye discipline of, what gear they are wearing, or everything else like that. Um, It's setting up, and there's really no other way to say it. We started some of our conversations today talking about how great Fran Brown is doing, and that's probably very much needed. Old-fashioned, good, relationship-building, recruiting. Fran Brown had a major part in Georgia getting in with Justin Williams kind of late compared to what they normally do, but you see here with these big defensive linemen, williams winery lj mccray aiden breeland three major alpha priority targets for the dogs and we have these late opportunities happening here with a lot of their decisions
0: so i don't want to oversell this i'm not trying to turn this into like a what's wrong with georgia recruiting topic or trying to fan the flames of hysteria honestly we're kind of laid back on a friday moving into a to a bye week for georgia. So i don't want to make more of this than needs to be made but I do think establishing the right perspective here is important because on the one hand, you know, we're led to believe, hey, Georgia's judicious about how it uses NIL. It has a certain, you know, way it wants to go about that. It wants to be as much of a player, you know, as anybody is, but, you know, kind of air quotes here, doing it the right way. And a lot of Georgia fans kind of buy in on that. But what we're seemingly seeing here is, whether it's Williams Winari or Aiden Breeland or now LJ McCray, That nil is a big factor late with some of the top defensive linemen. That position in particular, and you know, Georgia football fans are football savvy. They know that if you're not acquiring the very best defensive lineman on a regular basis, you are not in business when it comes to winning at the highest level. So, Jeff, how do Georgia fans right now, or maybe more important, how does Georgia itself process the idea of? hey, it wants to be careful about NIL because you've got locker room balance and chemistry to think of, with you also have to have the sort of elite defensive lineman, the likes which we're talking right now, to be in contention to win the most important games that are getting played. How do you kind of coexist both those narratives? Because it seems like that's what Georgia needs to try to find a way to do.
2: Yeah, that's the question of the the, uh, cycle, I guess, for me to think about. And when I think when you bring that question up, Brandon, I got I got I to make sure I couch it in reality a little bit because yes, when would have been at top at the top of the board, McRae would have been at the top of the board. Breland, he's very very good, but I don't know if he is the typical top of the Georgia defensive line board type athlete they normally get. And I got to say this first: this is an example of Georgia uh, striking out or coming or leaving the ball without a date. It's not that at all because you got to remember. Jordan Thomas and Joseph Jonah Janier, man, those dudes are killers. And I mean that in the most uh, respectful way for disrupting things on an offense in a football field. Those guys, and and why I bring up those names is you can't switch gears with your evaluation in terms of how you handle NIL in the middle of a cycle. Because let's say Georgia reverses its policy, gets frustrated, and decides to, push a lot more chips into the middle of the table for an L.J. McCray type talent, then what does that do for guys like Joseph Jonah, John Yeh, and Jordan Thomas in the same cycle? I think if you want to make those off-season evaluations and take a hard look and say, well, when it comes to the five-star defensive linemen in the country or the five-star players, we're going to have to identify and allocate more NIL towards those spots. Well, I think you do that at the beginning of a class. You can't do that when your class is 87 percent done and if you do make a change in philosophy for certain positions i don't think you can do it in the middle of a cycle i I will say this i'm going to say this a lot every time this subject comes up for those that think think that georgia is cash poor and going through the couch cushions uh to pay to get some gas money when it comes to nil it's not it at all what georgia's nil retention is largely about is retention it is nil retention not inducement. The majority of Georgia's NIL funds, I'm led to believe, go towards retention of your current players. That's the way it should work. That's the way it's working at a championship level in Athens. I think I heard you mention earlier your expansion draft pick for Georgia. What if you give more money to an incoming five star defensive incoming in than what a Michael Williams is making right now at Georgia? Not going to work that way. Not going to be sustainable, I don't think, even with a really strong culture connection driven locker room like the dogs
0: have so i think my response to all this is is that and i reserve the right to change my mind on this at some point in time but jeff if you told me who is the single most important recruit that you and i are likely to discuss for georgia moving forward give me the full class of 2024 those who might sign with georgia those who might not looking at the class of 2025 there as well i think elijah griffin right now is the most important recruit out there for george and i believe he's more important than dylan raiola there as well that you know given the way that defensive line seems to be going right now winning with a guy like griffin for the class of 2025 i think that just becomes paramount i I think i think that's a recruiting win you have to have and that's and you're right that's not to say that uh, i don't love joseph jonah ajanye who you're visiting with here this weekend and you mentioned jordan thomas and you know there's still you know guys who are out there like you know you know, a little bit different types of defense on like you know Boro or perhaps near johnson like that i mean you know, once again this is not me trying to panic or overstate things i'm not trying to like stir up the, you know hysteria right now i'm just trying to say that you have to win with elite defensive linemen to be at a championship level you have to be winning by the bushel on those type of guys to be at the championship level and some of the recent decisions i believe puts a massive spotlight on Georgia's recruitment of Elijah Griffin for the class of 2025. Do you agree with that?
2: Well, honesty compels me to believe to, to to admit this, Brandon, that I think Elijah Griffin's a great football player. I've seen him live. I've heard about him. He only lost – he didn't lose a single rep. I've been led to believe when he went to Georgia's camp. But And this is not recency bias, man. I think I just want to remind folks that I think the retention of Georgia's current class is really important. Now, if you want to make it make a case that, hey, Jeff, who's not decided, um, who's not committed anywhere, who were one of the most important recruits going forward, I would probably agree with you that you know Elijah Griffiths is one of those guys. There's a lot of players coming in the next couple of years that you're going to look at, and you're going to go, wow, that guy could make things better at Georgia. I think David Sanders is one of those guys. Everybody's worried about the weight. I'm not worried about the weight whatsoever because I remember Monroe Freeling was only 290 pounds in high school. Um, Broderick Jones was only 270 pounds in high school. But maybe this is just fresh off watching him, Brandon, but Joseph Jonah Adjanya, if you had to tell me to pick which one of these two you want and you can only pick one, I would pick Joseph Jonah Adjanya simply for the fact that he doesn't even turn 17 until November, Brandon. His bench press is over 430. I watch him move. He's only been playing football for like three years. He's got an 84-inch wingspan. Uh, he's had his he's had his uh, speed kind of what they're doing now with analytics, not with a catapult device, not the standard, but he's been measured at 19.5 miles per hour working out during practice. His uh, squat's over 600 pounds. And this is a young man. I'm going to say it again. He's been playing football since the ninth grade. I look at Joseph Jonia, he's just 16 years old, man-child, and I think this is one of those guys that I will remember for a very long time, a different type athlete, one of those different type athletes that you would see even at a place like Georgia. And I even put Jordan Thomas kind of right up there with him. So it's one of those things I think perspective is really important in my line of work when people are thinking about, ah, Georgia swung and missed on another one. What's wrong with the dogs? They can't they can't win, I'll say two things. One, if, if there was no such thing as NIL and Georgia would have had this NIL development in the back-to-back national championships, I think Georgia would have broken every record imaginable for a recruiting class. Probably would have been eight to ten five-stars in this class. But not, that's not the reality we're dealing with. But when you're talking about losing to Breland, you're talking about potentially losing to McRae, you're talking about losing to williams Winery due to opportunities, air quotes there, i got to remind folks that I like Jordan Thomas going to Georgia and Joseph Jonah Ajanje going to Georgia as much as anybody in the 2025 class or anybody else that they've, got, they've missed on going forward. I mean, the future of the Georgia defensive line, you start thinking, okay, there's Big Baby Hall, there's Christian Miller that's playing really well. They need to bring in more of these size athletes because I agree with everyone that says this is where you win football games and you win the football games in January and December that Georgia always plays now. You gotta get those elite guys. But I wanna make sure folks know that, yep, not going not likely going their way with a couple of these defensive linemen over the last few years. They definitely do need to make sure that they handle business and win the recruitment there for Elijah Griffin, but Joseph Jonah, Johnny, and Jordan Thomas are folks to be celebrated and championed in this class as well.
0: All right, let's finish with this. Got two things for you. First of all, this was a request. Somebody wanted me to ask you about this, and so I try to play the hits when I possibly can. Uh, everything good with Nitro Tuggle here right now. Uh, I was asked. I was yeah. asked to ask you about the Georgia wide receiver commit.
2: I'm worried about it, man. That's what I would say if I'm a Georgia fan. I'm worried about Nitro, um, and it's you don't have to get into these sort of deep cover conspiracy theories or you've heard this or you've heard that or it's the nil chain kind of coming out of the closet again um maybe that should be a halloween costume for some georgia fans in terms of something scary right now the nil monster coming out of the coming out of the coming out of the woodwork coming out of the grassy knoll but when i don't see a recruit uh in athens multiple home games chances to be there that's a worry uh, especially in this day and age where Things starting to happen. The wide receiver position is one that it's, some coin is being happening with NIL opportunities. And, you know, that's one of those things, Nitro Tuggle, where you got to sit there and say, the quicker he gets back into Athens, the quicker he comes back to Georgia in the month of November. There's two plum home games remaining with Ole Miss and Missouri. When you're a commitment and you don't show up in the stands for these mega games, that's a pause for concern.
0: Okay, so even from like Indiana, you know, kind of a long trip. I'm just kind of, kind of pressing you for more details. Like even from a place like Indiana, you'd say, hey, you know, not making that trek down here is is the kind of thing that you can't help but notice. That it sounds like that's what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a surface level what you can look to when you go in the doctor's sure. office and you can sure. say, okay, that's a symptom. Like, what's the root stem of that? Don't really don't not really kind of have a handle on that. That this is why what's happening there with nitro. I bet Brandon, we see guys come in from all the time. We see guys come in from um, – we've seen Illinois. We've seen Marquette Easley come in. We've seen guys come in from New Jersey. We've seen guys come in from Texas. Um, heck, Justin Williams and his family and Joseph Jonah Johnny and their family are trying to figure out another way to get back to Athens. And, and you know, when they don't visit during the season, that's that's, that's just something where you look at and you kind of go, go check the tires and go – and I know people are sitting there going, oh, Nitro, he's a – top 100 recruits, showtime, keeps moving his way up. Uh, I, I get it. Great football player, but that's one of those things that everybody else identifies a great football player as well. And, you know, Brandon, things are different. I mean, sometimes you just got to you just gotta read the keys. You talk about playing the hits, you know. You just knew uh, from doing this a lot of years that more DBs are on the way. You can just look at the track record with Andre yeah. Evans. You knew a DB was coming because Georgia only had two DB, DB commits in the class. Brandon – the average recruiting class for a Kirby Smart defensive back class, I keep these records, is 5.1 DBs per class. And you know Georgia was going to come away with a cycle with more than, more than two defensive backs committed in a class, even if one of them is the fantastic Ellis Robinson the fourth as well. So you just kind of knew these things were coming. You can, kind of, you can just kind of look at the track record. You can say, what's about to happen here? I think Georgia is going to have to get uh, at least one or two more nose tackle defensive line prospects in the class. Nazir Johnson is one of those. Makai Burrow is one of those. One of those is not going to be a straight decommitment. I mean, a straight flip target because he's been decommitted from Florida. But you look up and down the list, there's a cornerback in um, Tennessee as well and Marcellus Ryan Jr. The, I kind of kind of hinted at lot, a lot of these. There's Terrell Anderson in Greensboro, North Carolina, Grimsley High School. You know, there, there are things you need to do where, like, look what George is doing at receiver. You know, look who they're still bringing in. It's who they're trying to recruit. And it kind of tells you that it's not just all backfilling insurance. Sometimes there might be a need there.
0: All right, Jeff, really good stuff. Appreciate that. Uh, Thanks for your information. We'll look forward to reading what you got coming out of uh, Conroe, Texas there with Justin Williams and Joseph Jonah Johnier, two terrific UGA commits who are big parts of this class of 2024 and also have very interesting stories to tell about how their senior seasons are playing out. We'll look forward to connecting with you on that at dognation.com. And, of course, back here again on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger as well
2: take it easy buddy everybody have a great weekend see you in jacksonville
0: next week yeah looking forward to that let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through all right so uh, terrific stuff uh, from Jeff intel you know i think the mccray thing like i said before like my goal and something like that is not to be like panicked because i don't know that there's any reason for panic but at the same time i respect the idea that georgia fans kind of want to understand this uh okay well you've got a locker room balance to consider you've got you know chemistry and just you know you hate to think about it like a salary cap but some of this sort of functions like a salary cap right and you know for a guy that's just stamping onto your campus for hat to have him make multiples from an nil standpoint of what some other players making there's a lot of ways in which that might not go so well but you know the world is never exactly what we want it to be and so while you know you kind of think about oh let's be careful about our locker room balance over here at the same time you know you look at the kinds of players you need to populate your roster with in order to kind of stay in the championship business well those are the kinds of guys that other programs want to and so that means then just the sort of supply and demand world that we live in the price for those players is seemingly going up so how do you how do you kind of balance both of those things obviously that's what the Georgia coaching staff spends all of its time thinking about And I think Georgia fans themselves are just trying to understand a little bit more of that there as well so we'll have more of those conversations coming up for now though let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean now speaking of balance Royal Caribbean balances all the great things of a vacation right there in one experience and that's especially true for Icon of the Seas which is going to debut in January of 2024 and I am thrilled to say I've got my, uh, opportunity to be on board early 2024. I can tell you what it's all about and tell you about all the ways in which Royal Caribbean balances the largest water park at sea with like a ultimate kind of beach resort type feel and the specialty restaurants, uh, new concepts never before seen on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship, new entertainment options. The, you know, there, there's a big Broadway-style production-type uh, show on almost all these ships, and for Icon of the Seas, it's going to be the Wizard of Oz, which I just think is an r- unbelievable thing to uh, you know have there in the theater. Uh, it's just sort of a large-scale experience that kind of matches the large-scale thing that Icon of the Seas is. So I'm thrilled about being on board. Uh, I, I can't wait to see it. I, I'm kind of dying to see how some of this actually looks in real life after the kind of artist renderings and sort of the concept-style t- art that I've seen. And so if you want to see it yourself, Jessica Slater can help you get booked up. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. Or email her, Slater at dreamvacations.com. That's Slater at dreamvacations.com. She can get you on board. Icon of the seas. Big sailing right there in early January is when it starts going. All right, let's give you some final thoughts on the weekend's top games. Obviously, none of these involving Georgia. Tennessee and Alabama is fascinating to me. And perhaps... The most fascinating thing about it to begin with here is the idea that the combined points in this game by both teams may end up equaling less than what one of these teams either of them scored last year in the game in knoxville that was a high scoring game you know darn near 100 combined points you may not get 50 combined points in this game there on saturday it's expecting to be a much much lower store scoring game on both sides here now here are the two things that I believe Alabama has going for it in this spot. It's obviously playing at home, and Alabama's been better at home than on the road as of late. And it also, I believe, has the better of the two quarterbacks. We talked about that yesterday, that I think right now Jalen Milrow is just simply superior to Joe Milton. In fact, so much so you kind of wonder, do you ever hear about Nico Iamaleva for Tennessee here this year? Do they have that button they can push? Maybe they save that because ultimately part of the issue with the Tennessee's facing right now are not just the Milton struggles, but the fact that you don't have the kind of wide receiver play. After the Brew McCoy injury, what Tennessee had a year ago, you don't quite have that here, you know, right now. So maybe there's no point in, you know, going to Iamaleva if you don't have wide receivers for him to throw to. But either way, Alabama at home, better quarterback. But at home has not been a spot as of late where alabama has quite been what it once was either you know the story on this program they have slipped we've kind of given you evidence of that even at Jer- excuse me even at bryant denny stadium you see some evidence of that you know let's go back to a stretch from october 19th uh october of 2019 through october of 2021 you're talking about eight straight games uh, against sec foes at home in which alabama covered the spread but since then in the eight games since then just three four and one against the spread at home against sec competition A lot of statistical things you can kind of carve up here and point out to Alabama just not quite being what it once was, including covering the number at home. We've just seen less of that from Alabama as of late. But ultimately, I think the biggest surprise for a lot of people when you Of view in on this game you know this week for go with the flow we picked this game at nine points the lines kind of bounced around a good bit to be completely honest with you but if you're thinking about nine points here that's like three points for bama being at home and about a touchdown's worth of value in favor of alabama beyond that i think you're hard pressed to find out statistically where the proof of that exists that Alabama really is a touchdown better than Tennessee on a neutral field right now. Bama's played the far more difficult schedule, but when it comes to net yards per play, that's your yards per play on offense subtracted by the yards per play that you're allowing on defense. Tennessee's got the better number. Tennessee has the better overall offensive yards per play and yards per play allowed defensively. They've got the higher net yard per play number here. I think that Tennessee thus far this season has played just a, just a, better brand of football or at least as good a brand of football as Alabama's play you know Alabama's got the win against Ole Miss I'm not quite so sure that Tennessee's win against Texas A&M is all that much worse uh, than Alabama's best win against Ole Miss you know the one thing that Alabama does do it does have is the uh, big game against Texas which Tennessee doesn't quite have right now but as you know Alabama also lost that game as well so perhaps you don't take much from that the point is is that while I would still be somewhat surprised if Tennessee won on the road on Saturday, the idea of keeping this close enough to keep you entertained well into the fourth quarter, you better believe I think that's a possibility here. And I don't think Alabama right now has earned enough trust to assume it's necessarily going to be easy against anybody. If you're putting the spread at nine points where we're picking it this week, I'll take Tennessee plus the points there in that spot. I'll also uh give you a thought here on old Miss going to Auburn. This is interesting for Georgia fans because much like Tennessee, it is another uh Georgia opponent, and while we know now Auburn is just a different team when it's playing a game at Jordan-Hare Stadium. They've only played one conference home game thus far. It was the game against Georgia, and also that was as it typically is for Auburn, closer than experts expected. They've been an underdog a lot at home here in the last few years because the team itself hasn't been very good but the Auburn crowd to its credits almost always a factor I believe that'll be true again on Saturday you know and when you look at Ole Miss while they've continued to win games two of their three conference wins here this year have been by a touchdown or less that's about where the number sits on Saturday we're picking it uh with Auburn as a six and a half point home uh underdog here when you look at Ole Miss on the road against SEC teams just three six and one in their last ten against the spread against SEC teams on the road this is a spot where you know fairly immature uh, Lane Kiffin Ole Miss teams haven't always thrived I think it's worth taking a flyer here in Auburn plus the six and a half hosting Ole Miss on Saturday um I'll give you South Carolina Missouri here too this game kind of comes down to me to two things a Missouri has really had South Carolina's number you may not realize this but Shane Beamer in two tries against Missouri's never beaten them Eli Drinkwitz in three tries against South Carolina has won every single one of them and actually the winning streak for Missouri against South Carolina dates back to 2019 there's been a long time since the Gamecocks have beaten Missouri I think that's a little bit of a factor here in this spot on a motivational side for South Carolina maybe but also just the idea that Eli Drinkwitz just kind of had the Gamecocks number here uh, and also maybe a little bit of a comparison between the relative talent level of these two teams over the last few years there as well the on the field story that impacts this game more than anything else though is what Missouri does with Luther Burden you know last week a big convincing win at Kentucky but not a great day for Brady Cook at quarterback and Luther Burden himself only two catches for 15 yards my assumption is they make a concerted effort to get Burden the ball more on Saturday as much as I hate to say it South Carolina last week after losing to Florida that feels like the kind of loss that sort of impacts the psyche of the team moving forward of okay well now really what are we playing for Uh, That may be the question kind of creeping into the Gamecocks mindset here right now, at least until you get into season rivalry game against Clemson or something like that. This may be a little bit of a dead man walking spot for South Carolina on Saturday. Uh, I'll take Missouri. It's a little bit of a sucker play just because Missouri has been kind of a hot team. But they're a touchdown favorite at home. I feel like they probably cover that against South Carolina on Saturday. Outside the SEC, just very quickly here, Penn State against Ohio State. To me, this comes down to one thing. The way to beat Ohio State right now is to challenge them offensively. That's something that Notre Dame could not do, uh, and Notre Dame ultimately lost the game. Now, having 10 players in the field for the last two uh, snaps of the game certainly uh, impacted Notre Dame there, too. But Ohio State defensively is pretty good right now, better than they have been under Ryan Day at probably any point in time. Penn State offensively, the issue for me is Drew Allar, the quarterback, who had, I think, a lot of expectation before the year began, realize he's only averaging 6.9 yards per attempt. This is not a very impressive thrower right now. This is a Penn State offense that's playing very, very carefully. I believe that's probably too careful against an Ohio State team that has also had Penn State's number for a good number of years, and it doesn't seem like we see a lot of jumping of the line in the Big Ten. It's a little bit of a boat race conference who is in front, has a tendency to stay in front, and there is clearly a hierarchy here for Ohio State ahead of Penn State. It's not a huge spread. It's four and a half Um, I don't think Penn State's got the offensive firepower to go into uh, Columbus and win this game unless James Franklin's really saving something special my guess is that Penn State sputters offensively and that creates an opportunity for this Buckeyes defense to kind of protect the Ohio State offense which is also maybe not quite what it once was uh, to kind of get to the pay window there on that Duke at Florida State this comes down to the idea that I think well even if Riley Leonard does play there's been some chatter as of late that he might the Duke quarterback still not 100%. Ultimately, I believe this is all a smokescreen. My assumption is Riley won't play. If Riley does play, this is not a two-touchdown spread. This is probably more like a touchdown spread. Uh, Duke has played well enough to have some respect, even in Tallahassee. But without Riley Leonard, this is probably Seminoles or nothing here in this particular spot. And my guess is that even if Riley takes a few snaps, probably not healthy enough to lead Duke to anything like a shot at winning there at Florida State. Duke's biggest games are actually away from this, you know, they can have the season they want even without, you know, winning at Tallahassee. It's Florida state that the game probably matters to them the most cuz they're not just trying to win a, a conference, they're trying to make the college ball playoff and they need this ranked win against Duke. I believe motivation is probably on the side of the Seminoles here. And then you got Utah going to USC. USC's defense is terrible. Utah's only scoring about 21 points per game, but I believe they'll keep it close in LA on Saturday. And we will make that cruising around the SCC courtesy of Royal Caribbean with a little bit of the look at some of the top national games there as well. And, of course, no game day coverage for UJ tomorrow because – there is no game day but when we do have game day stuff going on around here our friends at the j stein law firm are a big part of all of that and i want to make sure we close out our week here by giving them a shout out there as well because they're doing great work for folks in our audience who going kind to of find themselves in a time of need you've been hurt in an accident or you know someone who has well you want what's right for you you want the compensation you deserve and that's what the j stein law firm is all about somebody else does something wrong for you then get what you need there uh when it comes to j stein law firm josh stein a two-time graduate of the university of georgia we call. All those double dogs including the UGA law school so he loves taking care of other dog people when they have you know been hurt or injured in an accident he wants to do the same thing for you it's the small firm attention that you deserve not the kind of big thing where you're just a case number some vanilla folder somewhere sitting in a drawer no you're gonna get personal attention from a boutique sized firm that wants to deliver great, great, courteous service to you. So please find them online, jsteinlawfirm.com. That's jsteinlawfirm.com today for more on that. Okay, so to wrap up here today, how about a golden shoe? Now, I mentioned this earlier, I've had a little bit of a laptop issue. If you've been watching the show live on video, the laptop is miraculously back on the desk now. But uh, not quite enough to get all of the golden shoes we had planned for today, but our producer Michael Carvel is nice enough to help us out with this one. Waylon Wilson is a very, very talented graphic artist. Uh, says, "Cook him a Bobo," and you see Mike Bobo with the chef's hat on there, the the chef, you know, paraphernalia on. You see the gator in the pot there being uh, cooked up, getting ready for Saturday. Waylon sent this to us earlier this week. At the time, saying just ten days. We're inside of that now but no doubt looking forward to that cocktail party the road to three yeah go for three and 23 next stop on that journey takes you to Jacksonville next saturday you better believe mike bobo is going to be cooking up something good there in Jacksonville. by the way speaking of coach bobo also going to the georgia high school football hall of fame on saturday night that's a fun thing to think about too so congratulations to all the former dogs there on that and of course our gator hater countdown eight days from now georgia back in jacksonville beating up on florida again that is our gator hater countdown y'all enjoy the weekend do something fun we'll see you back next week game faces on for the cocktail party right here on dog nation daily presented by kroger we'll talk to you then everybody